Hi, welcome to the show. My name is Silas Ombayu. On today's episode, we have Olabinjo Adeniron. He's a co-founder and also leads the growth and marketing effort at Future Africa. Future Africa is a venture fund that connects investors to mission-driven startups coming out of Nigeria and Africa at large. On today's episode, we talk about the how he negotiated his early career decisions, how he managed to work and also school. And also we chat about career games and why they matter and why people should pay attention to them. Enjoy the conversation. Hi, Binjo. Um, thank you so much for agreeing to join me in this um, conversation today. I have been reading a lot of your work and I was just really excited to have you on the call and to just talk about some of the some of the things you've written and to just, you know, learn a little bit more about you. Hello, Silas. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm, I'm glad to speak with you as well. And I hope that I can share some um, wisdom, <laughs> if you can call it that. <laughs> I'm not worried about you sharing wisdom. Um, I know you will share wisdom. Uh, but just to kick things off, um, let's just start in the beginning. You've spoken in the past about how you started your marketing career, I believe, in 2012. But at the same time, in that period, you were studying for to get your IT degree. How did you get into digital marketing and just what, what made digital marketing attractive to you then? And why did you decide on digital marketing? Okay, so the story is kind of long, but I'll try to shorten it. So um, I'd always been interested in computers from a very young age as one, you know, as one does in the tech industry. I've always been very interested in computers. And at some point in secondary school, I... Um, I realized you could start a blog and, you know, from learning how to start a blog, I was just reading, honestly, just writing, you know, my own teenage thoughts. Um, and from that in 2010, was it? Or 2011, I don't remember what year exactly. I started writing about technology on my, on my, on my blog. And I also found out that there were other people writing about technology as well in Nigeria. Right. Um, and on one of those blogs, I read about this place called CC hub. And so, I started going to CC Hub, started going for events at CC Hub. Um, at the same time, I was still writing on my blog and still you know, managing my Twitter account. And Facebook was huge then, Facebook is still huge. I was still using Facebook to share you know, the articles I was writing, technology articles, the events I was going at, um, reviewing sites that people were launching, or startups that people were launching. Um, and one day, someone asked me, somebody who started a business at the Hub, his name is Adebola Deola, uh, you know, called me and wanted me to come manage social media for their business. And this was um, 2012. This wasn't such a popular thing then. I didn't even know what it was, to be honest. I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know you could do this for a company. You know, I had read, um, I used to read this blog. They're still very popular now called Mashable. Um, I used to be a huge fan of Mashable. And mm. Mashable was basically about social media culture and internet culture. And so, you know, I didn't think it was a thing that people could, could do. Um, so it took me a while to kind of respond to him, but I take it anyways. And that's how I started um, doing, creating content for people and getting involved in digital marketing. Yeah. And in this period, you were in uni, right? You had started uni at so this 20, time. Yeah. How did you? Yeah. 
Um, 2012 for me was kind of a gap year. Um, and I will say it was a gap year because I had tried to get into school early 20, late 2011 and couldn't get a visa. Didn't get a visa again early 2012. And so just had to take the year off and figure out another way to go to school um, somewhere in Africa that wouldn't require me to have a visa. Um, so at this point in yeah. time, I wasn't in university yet. I was still trying to get into university. Right. Um, the reason I keep asking about that is myself, I started my career as a graphics designer in uni. And when I was done with uni, graphics design was a very good base for me to stand on to switch to product design. And it was it was very useful experience doing graphics design then. So, and it was it wasn't it wasn't easy managing it, but I knew it was quite useful. I'm just keen to get a sense of how you balanced your marketing career then and schooling when when you eventually started uni. Yeah. So the really interesting thing about my education is, so firstly, my, my parents, my I'm the first child of my parents, so my parents used me to run all their educational experiments. So. After secondary school, um, I went to do A-levels, Cambridge A-levels for two years um, before that gap year, right? So by the time I got into university, um, I had done, I had, so, I mean, I would say the first three years of university, I had pretty much done all the math courses already in A-levels. They were mostly repetitive for me. Right. Um, and because I said I was always very interested in computers, I had also learned how to code by myself. So I had this leverage. So university wasn't difficult for me as most people because I wasn't encountering a lot of those information technology computing concepts for the very first time. There were things I was very familiar right. with, right? Um, and so with right. regards to managing, you know, working and being in school, the really great thing about university is that universities have schedules, like very predictable schedules. Sometimes they will go, you know, off you know, the schedule, maybe a lecturer couldn't make a class, for example. But those predictable schedules made it very easy for me to compartmentalize my time, right? Um, so, for yeah. example, I had the same classes every Monday. I had the same classes every Wednesday. I had one class on Friday morning. So, like, it was very easy for me to plan my time. Um, another thing that really helped me was scheduling content. So, I would pretty much spend Friday working on content that would be scheduled the next week. So I didn't necessarily have to mm. work during the week. During the week, I would mostly um, post content. For example, you know, Instagram did not have a scheduling um, feature that time. So I would mostly post content, look analytics, um, see what's working, take advantage of certain trends. But I didn't have to actively work during the week because I was working. Um, I had done a lot of the content work on Friday. Um, another thing that helped me was um, by 20... 14, no, 20, 2013, I had started working with my friends. So I had kind of hired two of my friends to help me out. One was a graphic designer and one was a writer. And what that did for me was it helped me have more time for myself um, because they were doing like the graphic designer did a lot of graphic design work. I would provide feedback and guidance. The writer as well, I would provide feedback and guidance and a lot of editing before we would then, I would then post for clients. Um, so having that, you know, team structure, if you will, really, really reduce the problem on yeah. just me as a person, but really just being good with time management, being very diligent, um, 
And I think that the reason I was able to do this is because I was much older. I was much older than the average Nigerian student in 100 level. I was, by the time I got to university, I think I was just, I had just turned 20. I think, yeah, I had just turned 20. Yeah. So I was much older than the average person. I was more mature. I was more serious in school than maybe I would have been if I was 16 or 17. Um, so although I was late, it definitely gave me an edge um, in my career. Another mm -hmm. thing was I, because of the gap here, I had now become heavily networked in the tech industry in Nigeria. And so I knew what I wanted to do after uni. Oh, I thought I knew what I wanted to do after school. And what I wanted to do after school was I wanted to become a programmer. I wanted to be a software engineer, right? Um, what I always wanted to do since I was yeah. five years, I always wanted to be a software engineer. So I took the classes in school very seriously. I took my assignments very seriously. I took projects very seriously. Um, I hope that some of my classmates get to listen to this and they would agree that I was I was a very serious guy. I always start, I always start in front. Um, I wasn't a, you know how Nigerians say busybody. So I wasn't like overly pushy or anything, but I would come to class early, pay attention, yeah. turn in assignments early. Um, I was that kind of student. And so just being um, diligent and disciplined in those places, in those spaces really went a long way for me um, during university. Yeah. One question I'd like to ask is, when did you know that digital marketing was the thing for you or marketing in general was a career for you? Because as someone who obviously started um, my career like down the line, no one actually starts their career being senior. But in those very early days, there are times when you feel very, you feel very discouraged. What was it that kept you going? And when did you know that this is actually what I want to do going forward. The reason I ask this is for anyone who feels, who, who is doubting themselves, so to speak, how do you know or when, what are some of the signs to pay, to, to kind of like watch out for, to, to just make you just double down and understand that you should keep going and this could be the thing for you? So um, one of the, 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 so the way I have, um, I would say, approached my career or the way I approach life is to always learn. So um, yeah. I, would, I would say that the reason I took this digital marketing, and I'm, not, I'm being very honest here, I'm not even going to lie. The reason I took it very seriously in university was because it was really good. It was really good income. <laughs> like I could see like it was really good <laughs> income and I did not have to, prove myself too much because people vouched for me. Um, so it was really good income as a university student. Um, I mean, for some, for some context, after, after my first semester in university, I did not collect my allowance from my parents until I graduated. So until today, I haven't got collected money from my parents since, right. since 2013, July, right? Um, and so because I could see where it was going and I could see the increasing importance of digital, in Nigeria and in Africa, I, it kind of helped me focus a little bit. Um, but on the other side of things, because I was taking IT courses, I was also very technical. So I wasn't your average digital marketing person who did not know any technical thing, or your average marketing and communications person who doesn't know how to code, who doesn't know how APIs work, who can't detect um, any specific issues in a program, if you know what I mean, who can't help maybe the front-end team improve their SEO. Yeah. Like I was very technical, right? I knew HTML, I knew CSS, I knew Android, um, I knew SQL, I knew all these things. So I knew what was possible to do and what was not possible to do. 
and I think that it helped in my interactions with folks that I worked with um, within those years because um, they could see that okay, I did have some, um, I did have some varied experience that then made my marketing much better, right? Uh, another thing I will say in terms of what made what how I knew, knew that I wanted to do this after university is in final year. Um, in final year, I had to work on my final year project, and it was an engineering project. I was basically trying to build. Um, so at first, yeah, at first I was trying to build a Shopify for. No, I'm trying to remember now. At first, I was trying to build a Bitcoin exchange. That was the first thing I was trying to do. I had learned about mm. Bitcoin in 2014. I thought this is an amazing thing. I, I would like to build a, a project that helped Ghanaians with mobile money buy Bitcoin. Um, Unfortunately, did not have the technical resources yeah. to pull that off. So I had to work on another project, which was um, like a Shopify for Ghana kind of thing, um, which is basically what you see today with maybe a stack store or Flutter Wave store kind of thing, right? So you go to the store, you upload your stuff, you put pricing, and people can pay you. I, I did that in, in final year. Um, and what I realized was that I wasn't enjoying... I wasn't enjoying programming anymore as much as I used to. Um, so it was just mentally stressing mm. me out. I'm not even going to lie. It was stressful. It's a very stressful job. And so I did an experiment um, and I called, I called everyone. Well, I had some friends who had graduated a year ahead of me. I called about three or four of them. Um, I just wanted to know how they were doing in the workspace. I wanted to know what kind of incomes they were earning. I was very practical. Um, and I realized that while I was doing digital marketing, I was earning more than any of these people in their, in their right. engineering jobs. And so for me, it was, okay, this engineering thing, I kind of enjoyed, but it has a mental work. And I think something that many engineers don't talk about, or many people don't talk about when they talk about like programming, it has a very heavy mental workload. I found it very difficult to separate myself from the project I was um, I was working on, or the bug that I would encounter, um, and the the turning right. point for me was one evening. I was walking around the university. I was trying to find food, um, and I was going to I was going to the place to buy food anyways, and I was talking to myself <laughs> because there was a bug I was trying to solve for like two days. I was talking to myself walking on the road, and there was this lady and her mm -hmm. child. They were facing me. They were coming. Um, to me, and as they, as they heard me talking to myself, they just crossed the road. And I felt so terrible. And I was like, yeah, I can't, I can't do this for the rest of my life. Um, and I was also, you know, I, I followed a lot of senior engineers on social media, and I was seeing how they were talking about their life, how they were talking about how they would get home after, um, after a long day, and they would still have to code and they, are, they can't give their child attention another year. I don't want to live this type of life. So for me, it was basically what was important to me and what my values were at that time. Um, also realizing that although I had marketing problems I could solve, I wasn't, something that's happened to me a lot was, I wasn't, in my sleep, I wasn't dreaming about marketing problems ever. But I would wake up from mm. my sleep, turn on my laptop, and literally go and debug something every other night. In fact, my roommates would tell me that I would talk about HTML in my sleep. It was really bad. 
it was really really bad um <laughs> and so i just i just weighed my options right and i was like yeah i don't i don't want i i, I this is a thing i i enjoy but it's having a tone on me and it really is not aligning with the kind of future i see myself living um, and we will get to talk to more about uh, we will get to talk, talk more about you know about how i approach work um in this podcast so for me it was just yeah this this thing is great and obviously one of the best ways to make money right now um or even then but it didn't, it didn't align yeah. with how i envisioned my own life and so i had to pick and i remember you know after university talking my my dad was like oh so you're not going to do software engineering thing anymore and i was like yes <laughs> and like my parents were very surprised <laughs> because i had started using computers very very early like five years old and i had literally organized yeah. my life i talked about you know going to cc hub in a gap year i had organized my life to be a programmer right to be a computer scientist i had organized my life that way yeah. i had i had shaped my interests my friends um my family even my friends in church we were very we we're very nerdy people and so to my parents it was like ah okay but what if you had an opportunity to go for a master's so i was like yeah but it wouldn't be very useful to me except there was something specific about computers that i was mm. really eager you know to learn about but i just really wanted to go to school to just learn to just learn some deep deep computing concepts right um and some computing issues right yeah. um so that's what made me make that decision it wasn't really <laughs> i would say it was kind of deep it wasn't really <laughs> um yeah it wasn't really a purpose yeah. thing it was more of okay how do i want to live my life right yeah mm. You know, in a way, I see a purpose thing in there. Um, the the same way you found marketing to be very easy for you, um, an engineer wouldn't see marketing the same way. When I look at my own career, I, I actually read ComSci in university, and I actually tried to do some programming, but it never really stuck with me. Like yourself, it, it took a lot of mental effort. But when I started with graphics design, it felt very natural because I'm generally a very visually driven person. So I imagine that because your interests were a lot more aligned with um, marketing and the way marketing was being implemented, it felt a lot more natural to you. And you could do it a lot easier than... Yeah, because program. one of the things I had done in secondary school coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, was I had interned at an advertising agency about twice or three times. I don't remember now. But like my dad just drove me there one day and dumped me in the office. <laughs> and so, yeah, my parents are very um, <laughs> unique and very, very interesting. Their parents are very So my dad just drove me there one day and said, a lot of injuries in my house. He's talking to me about adverts. So I feel like he's going to learn some things here. So I did have that, but you know, I guess that's what led to your marketing communications, having that, um, those experiences, you know, working on an advertising team, working with the creative team. Um, when I was much, when I was a teenager, I would actually, I've actually not thought about this before. So thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Now let's talk about career games. You've written and you wrote an article earlier this year and you spoke about how different people play different career games. What is the value in knowing the career game one is playing? And is there any one game that is that one should play at the start of their career 
in in the middle of their career and towards the twilight of their career, so to speak. I know you said in the article that there is no one greater, no career game is bigger than another or one isn't better than the other. But I, when I was reading, I kept thinking about it. Is there a kind of game one should play at the start of their career and when they progress? Okay, so... Um... I just want to share before we go, I go on to answer your question. So I was reading this article called, it's called Play Your Own Game by Morgan Housel um, at Collaborative Fund. And he started from talking about how Michael Jordan was playing a different kind of basketball game from other from other basketball players, which is interesting because if you read about Shaquille O'Neal as well, you will find certain interesting, I'm a big basketball fan, but there's certain interesting things about how he plays basketball, right? And what he's optimized, what he was optimizing for when he was an active basketballer. Um, and then the article goes on to talk about like investing games and how different investors invest differently. Um, some investors do certain things because they have access to capital. Other investors can't take those kind of risks because they don't have access to capital. But it doesn't mean that the person that has access to capital is stupid or the person that doesn't have access to capital is smart. They are just mm. operating at different levels and playing different games and looking for different outcomes, right? Um, and so I read this and thought we actually do this in our dates, in our jobs, like we do this in our careers when you talk about work, right? We do this in how we approach work. And the reason I said was there is no particularly, um, um, there's no particularly optimal game. It really depends on your person and what you're trying to achieve is because, and I gave this example, I looked at um, right. the civil service. So if you work in the civil service in most countries in the world, it's very, it's very low pressure job. You know, it's very monotonous. Um, you're pretty much doing some, a lot of the same thing for a large part of your career. But now here's the catch with the civil service job. At the end of your civil service job, you get access to a lot of power and decision-making ability that most people never get to have in their career. Think about the person in Nigeria who's a permanent secretary at the Ministry of finance for example they probably have more they have more decision making power on the financial on financial on finances of the average nigerian than any nigerian bank managing director and most people don't think about it this that way because they're thinking oh the bank the bank managing director is rich and wealthy and you know has all this whatever that's going on but the person who's the palm sec who has taken who, who is taking 45 years to become this uh, to get to this position um, has has some more effect on the average person on the streets, right? Than you know this um, this this capitalist yeah. managing director, right? Uh, and so it really depends, right? Another thing I was going to say is so because the civil service is slow paced and is um, what's the word now? Um, is slow paced and is um, is monotonous. You know, it's really slow paced. You know, you're not you're not under pressure to make decisions fast. Uh, you're less so you're less likely to make bad decisions. The other thing yeah. that's happening is you're more likely to have time for your family, um, which is why you would see in certain African circles or in certain African places, people people want to people want to pick civil service jobs so that. Um, Sorry, one second. So they can have time for their family. So they can pick their kids from school. So they can take their kids to school in the morning at 8 a.m. So they can resume at 9, mm -hmm. 
right? Another interesting thing that many people don't think about is the payout yeah. at the end of a civil service job is absolutely insane. Like the payout is crazy because the government is rewarding you for years of service because you could have done anything else, right? But you to sacrifice your time for us. And so I have, yeah. I have uncles who have retired from civil service and they're doing way better financially now than their counterparts who retired from the corporate world, depending on, you know, what industry, right? But so it just depends on what's, what is important to you. So the question yeah. is, can you take a job where there's not a lot of pressure, nothing much is changing, but if you wait long enough, you could have the power to actually make the change that you wish. You could have, you could also have, you know, that big bulk of income at the end of your career, which you cannot decide to do anything you want to do with. But you have to forego something, right? The other, for those of us who work in startups and we like to say we like to work yeah. in a fast-paced environment and we like to see the impact, um, the impact of our of our work is almost instant, right? You put a button somewhere, you can see how people interact, millions of people interact with it completely differently from where the button was before, right? Um, and so for us, the question is, can we forego yeah. or do we need to forego um, other things in life because of the kind of job that we have? If you're working at a FinTech in Africa, for example, um, one of the things that's going to happen very often is that certain things break and it puts your entire user base in jeopardy. So are you willing to take that job knowing that at some on Sunday at 1 a.m., um, you're an engineer that's going to be called to drive into the office because something has broken? Similar thing for people who, you know, who are engineers in the banking sector, right? And so it really is really just something mm -hmm. to think about. Um, and in the very early stages of your career, you want to be able to decide what's important to you right to you and not to other people so if i had taken a civil service job in 2017 when i graduated from university um, it would mean that certain things are important to me i shouldn't come in 2018 and and compare myself to my colleagues in kpmg and say oh my colleagues are traveling all around the world oh my colleagues are going for their mba oh my colleagues are getting promoted they're doing this they're doing that they're influential they're a thought leader like i'm not playing the same as they are playing, yeah. right? So it does help you get a sense of comparison. Um, yes. And like now in my in my current in my current role and where I work, I wouldn't say that I am, you know, I am paid at the top percentile of my career. I'm paid well, but I'm not paid at the top percentile of my career. But I'm completely optimizing for for a separate thing than what most most people are optimizing for. Um, and I am. I am now taking it slow. I am not looking for um, yearly or annually or biannually increase in my salary. Instead, I'm trying to see, um, I, I, I do have some equity and instead I'm trying to grow this company so that I can in the future, you know, have that reward of, of, um, of equity returns, right? And it requires me to take things slowly it requires yeah. me to be very patient because these are not things that grow easily, right? It requires me to uh, manage my expectations of myself, of my team members, of the organization. It also requires me to compare myself differently with my peers, right? Because my peers are working in like some of the largest tech companies in the world, mm -hmm. right? So we are not doing the same thing. We're not approaching the same thing. 
um, and what deciding early in your career really does for you is it gives you a lot of peace. <laughs> it gives you a lot of peace. Like, you know, you know where you're going. You know what you're trying <laughs> to do. Um, um, yeah. One of the reasons I chose marketing was, I, like I said earlier, I realized that I could detach myself from it more easily than engineering because the bugs, and I wonder why, they, I don't know why maybe they're called bugs, because they literally bug your mind. They're just there. They're there like, you're walking on the street, they're there. You're running in the morning, they're there. You're taking a nap, they're there. They're always there, right? But if I'm facing a marketing problem today, I can put it aside, yeah. I can take a break, and I can then come back to it to solve that problem. Um, and I also thought about myself, like, as a father in the future. Um, my dad my dad used to work in, my dad used to work in one of top Nigerian banks, and in, in the very, in most of his career, um, I was the person who left home very early um, and came back home, um, came back home, you know, quite late. Sometimes you have to travel for like weeks or months. You travel to different states because you have to travel a lot because of, you know, the department he was working in. Um, and he had decided for himself that he wasn't going to work more than 10 years in the banking industry. So once he was 10 years, he just resigned. <laughs> mm. Literally the month he was 10 years, literally came back from a holiday <laughs> and he resigned once he turned 10 years, right? Um, and I could see how, like, my view mm. of my father changed in those years. So by the time he retired, he resigned from the bank. I was in, I was in senior secondary school one, so I was about 12, 13 years old. And I could see how my father became increasingly more present. Uh, my father was always there. My father was the one that would drop us off in mm. school in the morning, pick us up, he would come for open days. Um, he had always done these things, but now he was more present. He had more, he had more control over his time. Um, he would, he would come to school when mm. there was an issue with a teacher or, an, or maybe an assignment got broken, so he had to come apologize or speak to teacher on my behalf. Um, he would take my sister to spelling bee competitions or to set or like to French lessons. So I could quickly see, and maybe this because I was much older in university, I could see how um, a person's career decisions could affect their life. Um, and it really just depends on what is important to you, right? So like, is, is quick money important to you? Um, is quick money not important to you? Are you willing to wait five, six, seven years to see the labor, to see the return of your labor? Um, what kind of parent do you want to be if you want to have any kids, you know? Those are the things that should guide um, a person's yeah. career decision making. How much money do you want to have? How much money is enough? <laughs> you know, um, where do you stop, right? Where do you draw the hmm. line? Where do you draw the line um, when you're asked to do certain things? What would you not do for money? What would you absolutely do for money? Um, you know, I think those, those, those things really helped, you know, help me make that decision early. So like, so hmm. like, so like one of the, things um, that happened in my career was I took a gap year in 2018 and I was constantly propositioned by sports betting companies. They call them gaming companies, like about three or four times. And the salary band for right. even like an entry level, I'm not talking like top level marketing, I'm not, I'm not talking marketing lead. The salary band for entry level marketing associates in those companies is absolutely insane, right? But I'd always, I'd said for myself that I wasn't going to work in a sports mm. betting company where the house wins, the house wins all the time and the people are poorer. Like, I'm not going to do that. 
That is not <laughs> the game I want to play in my career. That's not the decision I want to take. Like other people can take it if they don't mind. But for me, you know, it was important um, to make that decision. And you can see how like what I had decided in in 2016, 2017 in university affected how I had to make decisions at a time in my life where I wasn't earning any income because I wasn't working, right? And I needed some income. And it was like, this was like very big money. And like anyone that works in the betting industry in Nigeria will just tell you, like you don't even have to advertise too much. <laughs> like it's like sugar, it's like sugar to ants, right? <laughs> the ants just come. You don't have to do too much. It's not a lot of pressure, but it's a lot of money to be made. I was just like, yeah, I'm not going yeah. to do this. So that's just how practical examples of how you know deciding what career games you play can help you make um, career decisions. I can draw parallels with my own career also. You know, when I switched from, I mentioned that I was a graphic designer back in uni in twenty in twenty seven twenty eighteen. I decided to make the switch to product design. The reason I was I was making the switch was was an it was a conscious decision. It was an intentional decision. I was trying to play a different game. I didn't think about it as playing games. Um, I didn't think about it in, in, in terms of games and stuff. When I switched from my first role to my second role, from my second role to the to the job I currently, to the role I'm currently in and the job, and, and where I am in my career, basically, I'm constantly thinking about what I want out of this role and when when I would know that it is time to do something next. So, um, yeah, I agree. You know, it might not always be conscious. It might not always be as, yeah. it might not always be prescriptive, so to speak, but it is good to have an idea, to have that concept of what you're looking for yes. in yes. whatever you're doing. Um, another, another thing um, right. that I just wanted to say here is something I had, I have also um done that has really helped me so when i talk about switching from software engineering to you know deciding to do marketing is um and i've also had to unconsciously do this is i've had to unconsciously detach my identity of myself from my work and so you know i talked about when i was a teenager doing working at an advertising agency so i don't graphic design like you mentioned done animation did some copywriting there as well yeah. Um, my curiosity of trying out different things is what led me to discovering blogging and then social media and then, you know, some of the work that I do today. Um, and so, although I am a, you know, I work in marketing now and I do a lot of growth marketing and product marketing stuff in two years time or next year, maybe even by end of this year, I could be doing something completely differently. Um, I had to quickly detach mm. myself from my the childhood expectations i had remember i talked about when i was five and i always wanted to be a software engineer you know maybe working in big tech or wherever i quickly i had to detach myself from that expectation because it was like yeah but now you you did not know anything when you were five years old and now you you can see that it doesn't really align with how you're trying to design your own life right um and if i find that marketing becomes very yeah. high pressure again i'm just going to say bye-bye maybe i'm going to be a painter or something i don't know. <laughs> Or I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing plants in my house. No idea, <laughs> but like, um, so I, I, I have approached um, my, I have approached my career with a lot of fluidity. Um, in one of my very first internships, and I wrote about this on my blog. Mm. One of my very first internships, I joined to be a social media intern, 
but eventually found out that we needed to write content. We needed to reorganize the website. We needed to redesign the website. So I designed like the second version of a hotel booking platform, having no experience in user experience. I don't think it was even called user experience at the time. I don't think that even existed. This was 2013. I don't think that was a thing. But like, because of the way I approach learning, I'm, I've been able to do so many things in my career that most people wouldn't do. And then it gives me this, um, it has given me this wholesome industry experience where also I have techni a technical background, but I have done some design or I did do some design. I worked at a company that was designed first. I did pay a lot of attention to the meetings on the design team. I did ask questions. Um, I did not heavily, I would say I have not heavily said, oh no, I'm just a marketing guy. I'm not going to sit in, I literally had a product meeting this morning. I'm not going to sit in product meeting because I'm a marketing guy. That's product people's problem. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to go through Figma mm. or uh, what's this prototyping tool and like go through the user experience and see if there are things that are broken. Like I haven't narrowed myself to doing just one thing. And so I can draw from these multiple, um, multiple experiences that I've had. Um, and I think that's something I see that is lacking today in indeed i would I, I, i'm not like labeling anybody but in the nigerian tech ecosystem i'm seeing a lot of people have very specific skills but they're not able to translate their skills um into how it mm. sustains the entire organization it's like oh i just do social media but like what's stopping you from writing was like was really bad <laughs> if you wrote mm. one blog post a month right it's not that you know it's not that nobody's stressing you just write the blog just learn how to write right um i like if if you were if yeah. you were sitting in a maybe in the conference room in the office and the design team came in but then you walked out that's an opportunity for you to even just learn a few things about how they think about the product that you're selling <laughs> right how they make the decisions um so that's how i pretty much approach this i always joke with my friends that maybe one year i'll just i'll just change my mind and i'll go and do, I'll, I'll be a user experience designer <laughs> so let's we'll see <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, I'm conscious of the time we have left, so um, not not immediately, but I'm also respectful. I want to be respectful of your time and to make sure that um, next time I reach out, you'd be gracious enough to give me your time. <laughs> okay. Yes, that's fine with me. Thank you so much. Um, I, I want to talk about marketing, and one of the first questions I have is, especially because you've been working or you're working closely now with startups. I was going to ask you about hiring for early stage startups, hiring marketing people for early stage startups. What are some of the key things that early stage startups should look out for in a first marketing okay. hire? Um, so the very first thing with your first marketing hire is, and it depends on, it depends on many. So, so, so the, the answer to this question is very nuanced. It depends on the industry you're in. It depends on how competitive the industry yeah. is. It depends on how fast you're trying to go and how much time you have, right? So if, for example, you built a travel app today, right. travel is one of the most competitive industries in terms of marketing, right? Maybe hotel booking or Airbnb booking type of things, or just tours. Maybe you're doing tours and trips, right? It would mean that you have to be very aggressive 
with your marketing strategy. Mm. It would mean that you have you might have to be very aggressive with your marketing strategy. If you were in another space, um, what's a space that is not crowded right now? Education or healthcare? Please give me one second. Sorry. Sure. Okay, I'm back. So, um, if you were in a separate space, uh, maybe I'm trying to think sure. of a non-competitive industry now in tech in Nigeria. Maybe medical, uh, medical or education, where there's not so many products um, and there's not so many tools. You can you can you can you can be able to slow down um, in terms of how you approach marketing and you can be more measured. Um, so the first marketing hire, ideally, you want somebody who's really trying to deliver results for you. Somebody who realizes that they have to turn in some results, right? And the reason is because you're a startup. And so startups are always trying to grow fast, regardless of the industry. They're trying to grow faster than usual. Um, and so the person needs to understand that look we're trying to get to x by december 2021 that's the first thing um, the second thing is they need to have yeah. some level of experience um in terms of content creation community building um you know helping products go viral they don't need to have they don't need to have so maybe three five years all of those things don't really matter sometimes you will find you will find somebody who's just out of university and what they had done was yeah. they had built, they had created some Instagram page for their uni for their class or something or for their year and the Instagram page was getting engagement. That's a sign of somebody who understands content and content that people want to consume, right? Um, so those things are very important. Another thing, another thing you would want to look out yeah. for is now how they can measure the results of their work. So how good are they at, you know, at um, seeing that they published a blog post and then 10 people joined the waitlist after that, right? Um, how good are they at repeating, repeating those kind of events and recreating, making yeah. that like a content loop so they're constantly creating more of that type of content since that's what people want um, anyways. Um, so how good are they at doing that? Um, also, do they know how to mm. sell, right? Which is where that Instagram example comes from. Do they know how to sell anything at all um i think that one risk um something one one risk that people take and i think is a very it shows in the long run is they hire an intern so because they're constrained for resources they then go and hire somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience selling any type of products um and one of the things I learned early in my career is the CEO right. should actually be able to sell. So if it's, a, if it's a B2C product, the CEO should know enough marketing to make marketing decisions. If it's a B2B product, the CEO should know sales to make sales decisions. You often find that CEOs are either, you know, engineering type of CEOs, business type of CEOs, but they don't know how to sell products. And so they even struggle to guide this first hire in, in what, what um, right. framework they should use to sell. And you know to meet certain milestones. And my very first job was with um, my very first internship, or my second in yeah, my second internship was with Hotels at NG. And if any, if there's anyone who has worked with Mark Essien before, um, who was the founder, is that Mark Essien is very marketing inclined. He also has a very strong technical and product background. And so because mm. he had 
through the bootstrapping time, he had learned marketing by himself, SEO, social media ads, all of that stuff. He meant that he could spot, he could spot people who were willing to learn, even though they didn't have experience because of his, his own expertise and skill, they could rely on him for guidance and they could then succeed. Um, and so for many, many founders, they will find that they have to do this thing by themselves first <laughs> for the very first, for the very few um, first few months. I mean, at, at Future Africa, it took us yeah. about, it took us about, I don't know, I think about six or nine months to have our very first um, actual marketing hire. We wrote all the blog posts by ourselves. We did the tweets by ourselves. We did threads by ourselves, like, you know, just the founders. Uh, and so it might help if founders go and, you know, took, yeah. um, what's this guy's book? Austin Ored's book, which is the secret source to growth or the red traction. And they took, and they did experiments on each, on each marketing channel, just for themselves to see what it's like. Cause one of the things that happens is there's a lot of disconnect between right. CEOs and marketing. The CEOs are either expecting something to go too fast. And marketing people are like, this is not possible. Or the CEOs are underestimating how wide their budgets will reach, are overestimating how wide their budgets will reach. So there's, and if you've done marketing before, you know that, okay, there's certain limitations. Mm -hmm. um, I'm building a new brand. It will take about three months or five months uh, because it's FinTech to gain proper trust. It might even take a year to gain proper trust. So I have to be patient with the marketing people, right? And so it really helps. And I, will, I know that CEOs have to do CEO work um, in terms of you yeah. know, aligning product vision and whatnot. But it would really help if they got into marketing for the first few months, uh, even on their own, see what it's like to grow an audience, right? There's many, 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 many products out there now where the founder was the one that grew the product. So one yeah. example is Product Hunts. Another example is AngelList. Um, and AngelList owns Product Hunts now, right? And you can see how like the founders were at the forefront of being the evangelists of their own product early on. They, they were their own marketing team. Um, and I think that really helped them hire better marketing people um, as their company progressed. Yeah. You've also spoken in the past about why companies should include marketing and growth concepts in their product ideation and development process. Why is this important that teams integrate this group into product and ideation? Because usually this is a, this is something that, at least in, in previous places that I've worked, this is one thing that has been missing from the product ideation. But you preach that this should be something. Yes. So this should be. Please remember the that norm. the point of this. Why should this be the norm? Fast, right. Literally, um, in one of the very early essays about startups, Paul Graham says startup is equal, startup is equal to growth. Mm. <laughs> like, so your company is focused on acquiring users, much more, much more than anything else, right? And and today you see so many people just launch very large products, have very large user bases. And at the background is everything is inside Airtable, but nobody knows, or everything is in an Excel sheet. But you're you're, inter you're using Glide or something, right? And so it's very important to remember that the whole point of this company is for the company to grow. Yeah. And you have to think, okay, this product, somebody comes to use this product. How do I make them? Um, how do I make it seamless? How do I make them delighted enough that they go on to talk about this product with their friend, with their colleague? With their sister, with their with their uh, with their spouse, right? 
how do I create opportunities mm. for the product um, to sell itself just as it is? And you will find that certain products have certain, um, and what it's called, it's called um, product channel fits, right? Certain products by design um, have certain things that make them that make that make them marketable. So one example is travel products, right? If you're doing a travel platform, you would find that because you have pages of content where you want, where you want yeah. people to visit or you want people to book a flight to or book a hotel room or some bed and breakfast there, you are essentially creating content for search engines because search engines is where people go to first to say, I'm looking for a hotel in Ikeja, Lagos. Right. Before you before you even have a brand that is known, the first place people go to is search engines. And so you need mm. to realize that if you're building that type of product product, you have to be um, you have to design it in such a way that you have pages organized and that can be easily indexed or speedily indexed by search engines. Right. Another thing that tends to happen in when you look at another sector is financial services. Mm. Um, people tend to hear about savings and investment apps from their friends, right? And this helps when you, when you start to do market research, you can see, that's some of these patterns of how people discover products. People tend to hear about um, financial apps from their friends. So how do you get them to discover these apps through their friends? What kind of product features um, you can, can you create that makes people even use the product with their friends so that they have to invite somebody that lives in their house. They have to invite their roommates. They have to invite their neighbor to just share um, these products, right? Another thing is, um, what do you want people to do after they take a specific action? So the point of an app is savings, right? And somebody comes, let's not even say savings, let's say money transfer. Somebody comes and transfers mm -hmm. money for the first time, right? And then they make four more transfers and all transfers are successful. How can you take advantage of that delight? Because clearly this person, is, yeah. this person is loving your product. And how can you nudge them to talk about it? Or how can you create a system that rewards them for taking those actions? So that they know that oh, every time I come to this app, I make five transfers, I get X thing in return. It might not be, it might not be monetary, right? It might be points that turn up to be something in the future. It might be badges. A lot of products have badges. Um, just essentially, how do you get people to come to a product and how do you get them to, to share it such that it's viral? Another thing you'll find is social networks do this very well. So when you join a social network for the very first time, most social networks, they will try to tap into your contact graph and ask you, oh, this app would like to, what's that thing it says on Android now? This app would like to sync with your contacts or something. And then I download WhatsApp by integrating WhatsApp to my contacts, I can see everybody else that has WhatsApp. Yeah. Right. So even if I have come from some other social platform, I'm now here and I can see everybody else who has this yeah. thing. I yeah. can easily just send them a message. You know, I can see their updates or status. So those are the kind of things that product team has to think about doing ideation. Um, how can we get this product to distribute itself? What ways can it distribute itself by the way we design it? Right. But also, how can we nudge? How can we nudge the customer to do certain things that makes it more um, that makes the product more useful to other people? But then it brings us value in terms of user acquisition. Right.
you've you've done a good job of mentioning some of the hacks that um early stage product teams can use to you know be more visible and attract more users now on the flip side what are some of the early mistakes that startups could end up doing when it comes to marketing you mentioned earlier also that the ceo has to be the chief marketing person if it's a b2c they have to be able to you know reach customers and then if it's a b2b they need to be the head of sales so to speak now what are that that is one thing that needs to happen but what are some of the early mistakes that um startups make when it comes to marketing that people should generally so be aware of, the, of uh, mistakes i see a lot of startups so to make um and just for some context I, I now work on the venture capital side of things so i see a lot of pitch decks um more often than i used to and i think one of the mistakes that startups make is they broaden their customer base too early um and so yeah. they say so and also because kind of founders try to hire me all the time and so i right. ask oh who's the ideal customer and then they say everyone is my customer and like at the very early stages you simply don't have the luxury of capital to appeal <laughs> to a very wide range um of customers you have to be very defined right so if i say for example my customers are the people who are searching for this product mm. on google search that's that's actually a defined customer my customers are university students aged 18 to 21 who are struggling to pass their computer science exams that's a customer my customers are uh, my customers are um middle level executives mm -hmm. who want a better life and are trying to um, realize that they want to move their family to the uk or to canada that's a customer right so it really helps to define the customer very early and what that does for you when you define a customer is it informs your marketing strategy it informs how you communicate with them it informs where you communicate with them it informs the type of partnerships that you build for your business um and so that's one mistake i see people make um, another mistake i see people make is they build it i'm hoping that is going to bring customers and one of the things I'm seeing now is so obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff about building in public, right? And people, because they're building in mm -hmm. public, they announce a wait list and like that's it. There's no so I joined the wait list and I'm in this wait list for like six months while the product is being built. But nobody's talking to me, nobody's talking to me, nobody's reminding me like not even once a month. I literally hear nothing from you. Yeah. And then you come out of nowhere mm -hmm. and you tell me that you've launched a product. I was like, okay. Thank you for informing me. But I don't remember who you are. I don't remember who you are. Um, and so there's that. <laughs> All people go on and they build a product and then they hope yeah. that um, people will come. There's no proper marketing planning. There's no proper, um, there's no definition of who the user is. And sometimes you can even tell just from how the copy is written on the homepage. There's just too many use cases. And so you can't tell who the product is for. Um, and I think that even even outside of marketing, that's just very bad product strategy. Mm -hmm. Not being able to say, oh, this is the problem that we solve, right? Um, so there's that. Um, 
another thing I see people do right. is um, they get into a game. Again, we talked about games earlier, right? They get into a game where they can't possibly win. So I'll give an example. I won't, I won't yeah. call it, but I'll give an example. So there's a company in a niche, a Nigerian company, let's say, so to speak, in a niche. The company is doing very well. It's the marketing leader. And then another company comes into that niche from maybe Europe. And obviously, the European company has more spending power. And so um, they start to splurge on markets. They start to give massive mm. discounts. I see that oftentimes the Nigerian company is tempted to, to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. And they first do certain funny things. So they go and hire very expensive executives that they do not need. They spend mm. a ton of money on marketing. They start to pay influencers, business or personal or consumer influencers. And it's like, and then in two years time, you know, in two years time, they have to now draw back on all of these things. And they start to see that, oh, they made a mistake going after this, um, competing with this other player. Um, it really helped. And this is why, you know, you should define what you're trying to do very early on. It really helps to know that, okay, there's a customer mm. here. This customer could eat my entire market. Yes, there's that chance. But I also don't have the required capital to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with this customer. So I will either wait it out and see what happens and keep doing, keep focusing on my own audience, keep trying to grow my business the way I'm already growing. I would either double down on that or I would wait a few months, see what happens. If they're still eating my market share, such that I'm drowning, I'm almost disappearing, I would pivot, which means I would leave that entire customer segment and go focus on mm. another customer segment, right? So I see people play those kind of games. I was like, yeah, you can't win. Like, like you're a Nigerian company trying to enter a space right. like transportation with Uber and Taxify is going to be tough. It's going to be, it's going to be insane. Like, these people have much more capital to dispose, have much more experience, mm. have much more experienced hires. And so you're the underdog in a space where literally your commission, your commission can throw a million dollars out to drown your pricing strategy. And so it really helps to think about those things. Um, another thing I see people do is focus on the wrong channels. So, right. um, you're a B2B business, but you're, spe you're spending a lot of time on Instagram pages. But your B2B is not small business B2B, it's enterprise B2B. And so, because you want to have this, I don't know what the word is, you obviously know that you have arrived. You're spending much more time yeah. focusing on a channel that is not bringing you customers or is not going to bring you customers. Where you could be spending much more time on, say, LinkedIn, <laughs> for example, or even because this is sales, right? You're using LinkedIn as content, but you're also doing LinkedIn sales navigator, or you have a very strong sales team. Like you have to quickly decide yeah. on what brings your customers and then be able to leverage important channels. So you can just grow per channel as opposed to just doing everything and then spending so much time on channels that will not bring you customers. Yeah. Okay. That is really, really insightful. Um, and before I let sure, you go, can, so um, I, there are a lot of I questions I have that I would really have liked us to cover. So, but again, sorry, let me just check um, we're a little bit short sure. of time. So 
yeah, two thirty. Have like a thirty minute overlay before my next meeting. Yeah. Um, okay, because of the. And I'm also just to say this. I'm I'm a bit conscious of how long we extend the time because you you've hosted podcasts and you know how um you know about exactly exactly you're a marketing person yeah <laughs> exactly obviously we're going to cut off some parts um but I, I I didn't want to like get insights that I would need to cut off. But so I just wanted one more thing because we're a little at the like one hour mark now. So I was just going to ask you one more question, which is essentially, is there anything on your mind that you would love us to cover? I just want to make sure that whatever you have top of mind, whatever you feel should be out there, I want to make sure that we cover it. So uh, is there anything the top of mind that we haven't covered so far that you really want to chat about? Um, and I think that's something that many people have done. And like this is just, it's not like it's a bad thing. But something that happens to many of us is we get very carried away with our um, our career such that we don't have we don't have a personality outside of what we do for work, right? So we don't even have fun, we don't have hobbies, we don't have we don't have friends outside of our industry. Uh, I mean, if you work in tech, it's getting mm. very hard because everybody is now trying to work in tech, so you're forgiven. But we don't have friends outside of our industry, and so we live in this in this bubble where everything around us is about work. We only listen, we only listen to business podcasts. We don't listen to I said what I said. You know, um, we only read books about our mm. industry. We don't read fiction. And I think that it's, a, it's very dangerous. Um, <laughs> um, not just because, I mean, one of the reasons it's dangerous is because work is very temporary. So I talked about earlier how user experience design didn't exist when I, when I started working in tech. And now it's this whole huge thing. Um, and so we need to be, we need to learn to be more fluid. The world changes very fast. We need to learn to be more fluid with how we approach work. We also need to be able to create yeah. personalities outside of work. So maybe your thing is you, you're funny and you do stand up comedy somewhere at night, or your thing is you have plans, or your thing is you draw. Like it really helps to have these things that are not, we're not like, we're not optimizing them for anything. So if I, if I, what's it called now? If I paint today, it's fine. But I'm not trying to paint like 20 paintings a month. You get what I'm saying? As, as opposed to where I have to put a number of, there's a, there's a metric I'm trying to reach every month, right? And it really helps free the mind. Um, another thing we don't do yeah. is we don't approach boredom as a tool for relaxation. We, are, we, we try to plug in all of our free time with things. So when we're bored, we open up Instagram or we read a blog or something. As opposed to just you know just lying down there and seeing what happens, um, I like to encourage more people. Even in your early career, it really helps to have some of these habits because you will find that as you grow, it's less difficult to change your habits and it's less difficult to learn new things. So in the early stages of your career, like you don't always have to be optimizing for some endpoints. Yeah. You can just go out with your friends for a whole weekend. It's free. Whatever time you get, wherever you're going, it's okay. You come back on a Sunday. Monday, you're back to work. Um, you read a book. You don't have any pressure when you want to finish reading the book, right? It's also maybe not business. It's fiction. It's nice. It's just feel good. You listen to music, you know. You're not always trying to optimize for lo-fi during work. Mm. And so these things help you free up yourself and your identity such that when you're when it gets to the point where you're... Um, 
your career needs to be fluid. So maybe the title needs to change or you need to change, you need to change something so important about it. It's much easier for you, right? You're not in a board meeting trying to defend your job. Your job has gotten out of date, right? But you're in a board meeting, you're not that guy who's 45 years old trying to defend his job that computers now do. Because you've realized before that, oh, you need to switch and you just switch where you had that yeah. opportunity, right? The job did not define uh, much of who you are. So that's just you know, the last thing I'd like to say. It's good to see you stayed until the end. I hope you enjoyed the chat. If you did, please leave us a five-star review. That would greatly improve the chances of us being found by a lot more people. So a lot more people will get to enjoy this. And also share it with your friends and have them enjoy it the same way you did, I guess. For general updates and tidbits, you should follow us on Instagram at dropthefilter underscore and actually follow us on any social media on linkedin we're also available on linkedin um catch on the next one bye